All right, but let's go ahead and get into the message this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll get, we'll get into it. So, Lord, thank you for your goodness to us and your mercy to us. Thank you for your many blessings. Lord, thank you for the health to be able to come here this morning. We know that Pastor Stewart, uh, Lord, his health has been up and down and he's had probably some mental victories and then, uh, Lord, some discouragements. Uh, Lord, just because of the way things are going, I pray that you give the doctors wisdom. You give them, uh, knowledge on, on what they're doing and how to, how to handle his situation. Lord, that you'd be with his wife as well and that you'd comfort them. You'd be a, a friend, uh, to them at this time. And, uh, Lord, that you would, uh, just heal them up. Lord, that's my prayer is you'd heal them up and get him back in this pulpit where you've called him and where he belongs. And Lord, that he would uh, have the strength to, to be back in this pulpit again and preaching. And Lord, uh, just uh, being everything that his people need him to be. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd bless this morning. Uh, Lord, as I uh, stand here as a, as a uh, hopefully a faithful minister of your word. And Lord, that we would uh, be able to leave here knowing that you did something for us. Lord, I pray that you would increase and I would decrease in the sight of these people. Lord, that you would be lifted up and magnified. And Lord, whatever you want your word to accomplish this morning, Lord, if it's a rebuke, if it's a, an encouragement, uh, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that your word would go forth with boldness. And uh, Lord, that your people would get exactly what they need. And Lord, that can only happen through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we ask now that you'd bless. And Lord, that you'd have the preeminence in all things. Lord, bless this morning, bless this afternoon, Lord, and this evening as we come back and open up your word, that you'd bless it in all things, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there is a man that wrote a book uh, in 2012. His name was Nassim Tlaib. Uh, he's a mathematical risk analysis type of probability person. Uh, and he wrote this book and he called the name of the book was called uh, anti-fragile or anti-fragile. Uh, it was also called things that gain from disorder. All right. So he wrote this book and he's a, a someone that's in the social sciences and, and, uh, this whole kind of thing. And it was interesting to me, the things that he was saying, uh, about that, uh, and about this idea. And so the premise of the book was this, the premise was that there are things that are fragile and we understand that, uh, if you have a, a drinking glass, uh, and you drop that from a certain height or with enough force when it hits the ground, uh, it's fragile and it's going to break. So we understand things that are fragile. My wife's ankle is fragile. <laughs> when she stepped wrong, it didn't take it well, uh, and it broke and it was, uh, it's fragile. We also understand the opposite of fragile or something that is not fragile. We could call it resilient. Something where you could take it from the same height as the, as the drinking glass and drop it. And whereas the glass broke, something that's resilient, you could drop it and it might just bounce or it might just thud and it, nothing happens to it. Nothing changes whatsoever. But the idea of this, uh, being anti-fragile is something that gets better when it's put under pressure, something that improves when there's some type of pressure, some type of hardship against it, that it doesn't just stay resilient and not change at all. It's not so fragile that it just breaks underneath that pressure, but that it improves itself. All right. So if we take pressure and we take heat and we have a glass vase that you would put flowers in, and you take that, if you put enough pressure on it, if you put enough heat to it, it's going to melt and or break, uh, and it's going to be fragile. All right, so again, we understand that. If we take a tungsten metal ball, all right, which is uh, which is one of the elements, if we take that and we put it under heat and we put it under pressure, we can, it, its melting point is over 6,100 degrees Fahrenheit. So if we put it under an immense amount of heat, or if we put it under one of those hydraulic press, you know, sometimes you can see the videos of stuff exploding because they put it under the press, if you've seen any of those. We can put it under an immense amount of pressure, and what's going to happen to that tungsten ball? Nothing. Nothing. It's just going to keep its form. It's not going to melt. It's never going to change. But if we take carbon, which we would know in its unpure form to be coal, if we take carbon and you put it under immense amount of pressure and heat, you know what we get? 
We get diamonds. We get diamonds from that. It's something that improves under the pressure. It's something that improves under heat. It's something that we could say has this man's idea of being anti-fragile. The social science world says that humans best learn from two different forms. One is lecture and books. All right. That's where we get wisdom and knowledge from lecture and books. That's one way of learning. And the other way of learning is from experience. We might call that the school of hard knocks, right? We might call it that. And they say, these are the two ways that humans best learn and that our brains are capable of learning. It's through uh, lecture and books and experience. And through all of this, through understanding this man's idea of anti-fragile and in society that we should embrace pressures and difficulties uh, instead of just being afraid of them and turning from them. And this idea of learning from lecture and books uh, and learning from experience, I I look at all these things and the reason they interest me is because I'm like, oh, this is Bible. This is Bible. Someone's writing books and getting rich over ideas that are uh, Bible ideas. We understand there's nothing new under the sun, but the idea of the world saying, oh, why don't you come and speak to us about this idea of uh, being under pressure and coming out better than when we go in. Come and speak. To, we'll pay you a lot of money to come and speak to you when you can go to the dollar store and get a King James Bible. And you can read about some things in the Bible. Listen, you know what we're doing right now? We're doing lecture and books. This is a book, and I happen to be the lecturer. (laughs) I happen to be the one doing the speaking right now. And so that's the preaching and the word of God, and we learn, and God deals with our hearts. And there's much more going on than there is in a college classroom. There's much more going on than there is sitting in a lecture, and you're trying to gain some type of knowledge. There's something spiritual going on right now. Uh, listen, there's something that I'm praying and asking God to do that I cannot do simply by standing up here and giving you an outline or giving you an illustration or a story. There's a spiritual transaction that goes on from God through the Holy Spirit of God that takes my words from the Word of God and brings those into your heart and moves in your heart to say, this is what I want from you. This is what I desire from you. This is what I give to you. The Holy Spirit of God has to do that. It has to be a work that he's going to do. But that's preaching and the word of God. And what is the experience? That's your life. That's your life. Your life is the experience, the days that you live and you get up and you live through your day and you go to bed and you wake up and do it the next day and the days and the months and the years and the decades that go by, that is where you gain the experience, the things where you say, okay, I think it makes sense up here. I think I can see it from the word of God, but now in my life, there's a time for application. Now there's a time in my life where I'm going to apply the word of God or or not apply the word of God because I think I got it figured out better than God's word. And now I'm going to do this. And then you go through that situation and you say, oh, yeah, should have went with God's word. Or you go through with by the word of God and the wisdom of God. And you say, oh, now I see it. Now I see what happened there. And so we're going to talk about a principle that I don't call it anti-fragile, but I call it the wilderness principle, the wilderness principle. All right. So this idea of a wilderness principle. Now, the wilderness in the scriptures, when we see the word wilderness, it's often speaking of a desert. But here in America, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, when we think wilderness, we think woods. We think right, what's right outside of our back door, right? Uh, the woods. And I grew up in Western Pennsylvania at the foot of the Appalachians. And so I would just drive about seven miles and there was the Appalachian trail from my house and it'd be on the top of, well, what we would call a ridge. They call it mountains on the east. <laughs> 
they don't know what they're talking about. But uh, this, these little ridges that go across, uh, the, go, go up the east, right? Uh, so I go up to the top of what was Laurel Mountain, and I go up there, and just you could catch the ridge, and you could just hike, or you could go out and climb on some rocks, or you could do whatever you wanted to. And so wilderness to me was woods. That's what my brain was thinking, but it's not just like the woods. I mean, to be a wilderness is to be in a place that's uninhabited. It's in a place that's, uh, it's uncultivated. It's a place of kind of disorder. It's raw, right? I mean, that would be a wilderness is something that doesn't have the, the, the comforts. You, you don't, you wouldn't get dropped off in the middle of the wilderness and, and look and, oh, hey, look, there's a Marriott. <laughs> That's nice. That's convenient. That's not wilderness. Wilderness has that raw, uh, feeling, a little bit of uh, nervousness. Maybe you like to be out in the woods and hike. I love to hike and do that, but I also want to, you know, be within reason. You know, I don't want to be out in the wilderness to the point where you have to kill and eat to survive. Like, I'm not a kill and eat survive kind of guy, you know? I need to take probably some of you with me. I remember when I first, uh, was visiting in, uh, Faith Baptist Church, and not everything was clear yet, of course, as what was the Lord was doing. The Lord was working with Brother, uh, Bailey, with Pastor Bailey, and the Lord was wanting to move him on, and Brother Adamu, who is the associate there, had decided he was gonna go to Bible school, so there was some transition and changes going on at Faith Baptist Church. And so Brother Bailey had talked to me about coming and uh, becoming, Lord willing, becoming the pastor of the church uh, and transitioning our church. He was ready to kind of retire from pastoring and move to Texas and be around some grandkids, him and his wife and things. So, um, so but the, the church didn't know all of that yet. We were still trying to feel that out. So I was just coming and visiting the church. And so we had a time where we kind of ate some food and some men of the church came and uh, we're, we're talking to me, and so uh, I'm sitting there eating, and here comes like a group of kind of some older men, and they come up to me, and they're like, how's it going? I introduce myself and everything, and they say, so you hunt? And I was like, ah, not necessarily, you know, not really. And I'm from Rochester, New York. There's a million people in the county, so, you know, it's pretty busy. And uh like, do you hunt? I'm like, no. He's like, you go fishing? I'm like, well, I have been fishing. I like, I heard it's more fun if you catch fish. So since I usually just drown worms, you know, uh, it's not, it's, I could do other, I prefer to do other things, you know, and they're like, you don't hunt, you don't fish. And why are you thinking of coming here? You know, I'm like, easy gentlemen, you know, uh, I also don't drink coffee. My wife, she loves coffee, right? That's why I try to bring her everywhere I go. Because she's the one that even makes me acceptable in the Pacific Northwest, is my wife. You know? And so some of you people are like, that wallet is staying in here. The guy doesn't even drink coffee. What's wrong with this guy? But... Uh, this idea of being dropped off in the middle of the wilderness. But we understand what a wilderness is in 2000, no, 1996. 1996, I had a chance to go to Israel and went to Israel with my father and my grandfather, which was a, which was a blessing and a treat. Uh, but when I went over there, as I read the Bible, this was, you know, if you, those of you that were around in 1996, you remember, we couldn't just be like, What's a wilderness look like, you know? We couldn't just do stuff like that. Uh, it wasn't accessible. So my Bible reading, when you read wilderness, I thought, in the woods, wilderness. And when I got over there, I was like, wow, this climate is really different. And it was more like desert and dry. And seeing the wilderness that was that wilderness was different. It was, it was a, a, a place that was... <clears throat> dry, there wasn't any shade there in these wilderness, and sometimes in this wilderness and wilderness of Judea and names like that that you recognize. And these places, it was just, uh, just rocks and sand and dirt. And it was, wow, this, now this is a place that is wilderness. This is a place where I don't want to go spend a lot of time and hang out. My wife was born in El Paso, Texas. We've taken a trip uh, down there and been in El Paso and, and been in through some of that area. And uh, it, it has its own beauty for where it is. Every place has its own beauty. But it's pretty dry. And it's there's not a lot going on. 
And I'm like, this isn't a place where I would choose to live, you know, if I, if I could choose. Uh, this isn't a place where I would choose to live. But everything has its own beauty. But the desert is something that we can understand. Man, now that is a wilderness. And God uses places of discomfort in our lives with his help to make us better for him. To make us better for him. Job chapter 23 verse number 10 said, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. First Peter chapter number one, verse seven says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The trial of our faith. And this wilderness principle, we're going to look at some characters in the Bible that are in a literal wilderness place, and we're going to like it to something that the Lord takes us to or allows in our lives or someone else puts into our lives and puts us in a place of discomfort, puts us in a place of a wilderness. And when we often in our flesh say, Lord, why are you doing this to me? We're often missing out the idea that God can put us in uncomfortable positions. And if we stick with him, we will come out better than when we went in. If we're not fragile enough to just throw up our hands and say, God, I don't understand and I don't like this and I I don't care for this and I'm going to stop following you and I'm out. We can find ourselves, if we do that, we can find ourselves in a broken place or if we allowed ourselves and the things that have happened in our lives to, to break us to where we're no longer useful for the Lord, we're no longer useful maybe to our own families or our own friends or people that rely on us uh, because you know what happens in this life? Life. When we get saved and we ask the Lord to save us and we realize there's a whole different life than maybe the life that we had lived or the life that we knew uh, previous to the gospel and previous to being saved. And and we think, boy, now I'm saved. Now I have God on my side and nothing's going to go wrong. And yet things do go wrong. Why? Because the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. And heartache and things in this life, they happen to those that are serving God and to those that are in the world trying to live their life and do their thing. Life happens to us all. We can't, we can't escape the things that go on in this life. But thank God that we have a savior and we have a God in heaven that can help us in those times that feel like the wilderness and those times that feel like no one's been here before and the times that we know that we've certainly never been here before. And, and Lord, I'm going to need you and your strength to get me through this. We can come out of the wilderness completely unchanged and we can sing the song, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like sometimes when we sit and we hear the preacher and he's preaching on something that we don't like. And we say, well, I'm, he's not going to affect me in that area. I've already decided this is how I'm going to live my life. That happens sometimes. And we need to be careful in our own hearts to make sure when the, when the Lord uses a man to preach something or to teach something in our hearts, and we, we might say, well, I've never heard that before. Or there's a possibility the Lord wants to teach you something. <laughs> there's a possibility that you don't know everything. I certainly don't know everything. The good thing, what I get to do is I get to often sit in my office and prepare a sermon and read the word of God and the Lord say, hey, buddy, you need some work here. You need some fixing here in this in your life. And I have to push my chair back and get on my knees and say, God, help me. And then what do I get to do? Then I get to turn it into a message and come preach it to you like I have it perfect and figured out. (laughs) I get to say, how dare you do that? And it wasn't but two days ago the Lord was like, how's this in your heart? And I said, Lord, I need help. God, please help me to be better for you. 
And we need to be careful when God does that in our hearts. We can go into a wilderness and we can come out and we can go through it. And the only thing that's happened is we've hardened our hearts and we've planted that seed of bitterness and it's turned into a root of bitterness, as the Bible says. And boy, we can just say, I can't believe God would do that to me in my life. And people have done it. People have done it and they're not done doing it. There's going to be more and say, well, that wouldn't be me. And I hope not. But boy, there's some wilderness in this life where things can go on in this life. And boy, it can, it can change us and not always for the better if we're not careful. And so this idea of the wilderness, there's some things that we can learn from the wilderness. Turn to Genesis chapter number 16. You were wondering if we were going to get to the Bible. Genesis chapter number 16. We're going to turn to some stories here. Genesis chapter number 16. Now we're not going to spend a lot of time on these, but I want to draw out some things here. Genesis chapter <clears throat> number 16, look in verse number 4. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. This is Abram, who becomes Abraham, and Sarai, who becomes Sarah. God changes their names. But this is this story. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee, I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. This is Hagar. By the fountain in the way to Shur. And she, and he said, this is the angel of the Lord, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And so Hagar is here and, and there's a lot of backstory, of course, so we could talk about this and how that, uh, Sarah and Sarah and Abraham, as we know them, Sarah and Abraham were promised a child, but that child didn't come in the time that they thought it should come. And so Sarah says, well, we're not getting any younger and I, I'm not able to conceive a child. So I'm going to give you my handmaid and we'll just have children by her. And then God will bless us through that child. And God says, I haven't, I have chosen not to bless you through that child. I said that I would give you a child. And so when they do this, it, it's, there's some problems here. And uh, if you study out the Bible, you you know where that history goes, you know that that History extends itself uh, into the Jews and to the Arabs and to those that are uh, against each other and at odds with each other. And so we, we know that and we understand that. But here is Hagar, and all she does, she knows, is she finds herself in a place where her mistress has cast her off, and she's and she goes to this wilderness place to try to get away from the things that are going on, and the Lord meets her there. And that's the first thing I wanted to point out, and it's, we're going to find it in other passages, but the Lord is there in that wilderness place. It might be a place that seems dry. It might be a place, although they were here by this fountain and they'd found some water and they'd found some sustenance, but there was no direction. There was no guidance. Hagar and her son didn't know what they were going to do and where they were going to go. And yet the Lord shows up because why the Lord is in the wilderness. The Lord is in that place in your life that is uncomfortable, that place that seems uninhabited, that place of disorder. The Lord is in that place and he is there and he comes and he says, all right, Hagar. And he says to her in verse number eight, he calls her Sarai's maid. He says, listen, I'm going to call you and I'm going to put you. I'm also going to remind you of who you are and the position that you're in. And then what does he do? He says, go back and submit yourself to her. 
Sometimes the Lord puts us in a place of a wilderness where he simply needs to remind you and I of that he's him and that we're us. And sometimes he needs to put, he, he can put us in a, in a place where we need to be reminded sometimes that God is God. And that if you're saved and born again, you're a child of God and you are to be a servant of God and you are to be a soldier of God. And he's the one that's calling the shots in your life. And he's the one that's leading and guiding and directing in your life for his purpose and for your betterment and for your joy and for your peace of, in life. And he's bringing these things, uh, and he's bringing you along, and he's saying, I'm trying to make you more like me, and so that I can be glorified, and so that I can be lifted up, and so that, uh, your life can be a pleasure unto me, and say, well, that doesn't sound fair. Well, he loved you enough to die for you, and not to leave you in your own sin, but to send his son to offer himself up as a free gift of eternal life. That's how much he loves you. And when you heard about that gift, if you're saved this morning, when you heard about that gift and you thought about it for a little bit, whatever the situation was for you, when you accepted that gift of eternal life, you said, thank you very much. (laughs) I'd rather go to heaven than pay for my own sin in hell for eternity. Thank you, God. And then when he says, all right, now will you live for me? Some Christians have a hard time of it. They have a hard time of living for God. They have a hard time when God's will uh, intersects their will. And they say, well, I really want to do what I want to do. And there's a lot of Christians that live that way. And sometimes the wilderness comes by. And instead of saying, well, God's just doing this or this is happening, say, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you have for me in this wilderness? What do you have for me in this time of disorder and this time of, Lord, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. I don't seem to have the answers. Lord, life seemed to be, it seemed like it was all together and now it's not all together. Lord, what do you want, Lord? He taught Hagar that she needed to submit and sometimes the wilderness can teach us submission. Look in Genesis chapter number 21. Genesis 21, it's Hagar again. In verse number 14, Genesis 21 verse 14. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle. And she cast the child under one of the shrubs just to hopefully have some shade. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad and the angel of God called to Hagar out of the, out of heaven and said unto her, what aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise and lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand, for I will make of him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. This time, uh, Abraham is sending her away, uh, for good and sends her away because Sarah has had a child and that's the, going to be the chosen seed of God that he's going to use. And so he sends the child away and here's Hagar and her son. Uh, who's probably about 14 years, 14 years old at the time. So he's not as, as young as we might think, but, uh, about 14 probably and puts him under this shrub so he can have some shade from the sun without water. That's the only thing that's going to kind of keep him alive longer is to give him some shade and puts him there. And she sits a great way off and she calls out unto the Lord and the Lord answers her again and says, you know who I've heard? I've heard the lad. I've heard that boy. I've heard that boy and I've heard his cry. And listen, I'm going to make of him a great nation as well. So I haven't just left you here to die. I'm going to make of him a great nation. And you know what the Bible says? He opened up her eyes and she saw some water. She saw a well that she didn't know was there before. And she sees this well and she gets water and she fills the bottle with water and gives a lad drink. You know what they do? They survive and they live and they go on in what God had for them. 
and they go forward. Her eyes were opened. She heard from God. And often when you're in a place of wilderness and you're in a place that feels like you're alone and you're in a place of disorder and you're in a place in your life where you say, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why God would be doing this to me. You know what we need to do? We need to open up our ears and let the Lord open up our eyes to see what he has for us in the, in the place of a wilderness. There's all kinds of things that happen in this life. There's all kinds of different things that we might claim to be a wilderness. Let me put this on, let me put this here as well. Uh, I'm not talking about living the Christian life where every little thing that happens to you, you happen to be a victim and you run around and cry, I can't believe it's happening to me. I can't believe it's happening to me. I'm not talking about that type of mentality, that type of victimhood mentality. Because you tried to offer someone a gospel track and they said, no, thank you. And you were like, oh, oh, I'm so, I'm like Paul. I mean, I'm just, you know, just the heartache that I've had to endure as a Christian because someone rejected a gospel track from me. I'm not talking about that type of victimhood mentality. I'm not talking about the idea you try to take a stand for Jesus Christ at the workplace and someone doesn't like you for it. I feel uncomfortable if everybody does like me. That's when I, that's when I feel uncomfortable. Oh, it just feels weird. I need someone to just be like, I don't like this guy. You know, so if you're willing to volunteer, just tell me later. All right. But you know, this idea of just every little thing that we try to do for Christ and, oh, it's just so hard to live for Christ and it's just so hard to be a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. As a Christian, we sh- we ha- we should have some type of backbone. As a Christian, we should have some kind of toughness to us, given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ, to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to take a stand, and if not everybody loves me for the stand I'm going to take for Christ, then so be it. But I want to be a, a witness and a testimony for Christ, regardless of what happens. I'm not talking about a wilderness being someone turned you down for a gospel track. I'm talking about things that go on in this life, where we turn to God and say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. Lord, I need help right now. Lord, I need something from you because I'm in a place uh, of disorder. I'm in a place where I don't know what to do. I don't have the strength to make it, Lord. I'm in this place that's dry. And I've been trying to read my Bible and I've been trying to pray, but it's just dry and it's barren. Lord, help me in this place. The Lord will speak to you in those places. Look in Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter number 3, verse number 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to mount to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Look in chapter 4, verse 27. The Bible says, And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness. It was that same desert. Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the mount of God and kissed him. Moses was in the wilderness. Moses was 40 years in the wilderness after he left Egypt. And he was there, and he was there in the backside of the desert because he chose to stand with God and God's people than to stand with Egypt and what they did and what they wanted and what, what they wanted Moses to become. And he chose God, and he found himself on the backside of the desert, alone in the wilderness, taking care of somebody else's sheep. And he was there and he sees this bush. It's not being burnt. And I guarantee you, if Moses was anything like you and me, and we know he was from the scriptures, 
he was probably walking around thinking, now if anyone had any reason to say, oh, we remember the garlics and the leeks and the cucumbers in Egypt, right? Like the Egyptians said when they were slaves. We remember all these. If anyone had a reason to say that, it had been Moses. He was raised as royalty. And there, I guarantee you there was a time or two when Moses was in the backside of the desert watching these sheep going, man, there was some nice things about Egypt. <laughs> there was some nice things. Boy, I remember when this was going on. I remember when I had access to this, and boy, that was nice. That's better than this. This I'm looking around at right now. It's better than taking care of my father-in-law's sheep. And yet he's there in the backside of the desert, and he's there for 40 years. And there's a bush that's on fire, but it's not being burnt. And he says, what is going on here? I'm going to check this out. And he goes there, and you know what God tells him? In his backside of the desert, in the wilderness, God says, hey, take your shoes off. Because the place where you are right now, it's not just a barren wilderness. This is a holy place. This ground that you're standing on, this is holy ground. And if you've ever been around somebody that's really been through something, and it's really been through some difficulties and they've kept close to God and they've stayed close to God and you go and you visit them, you go and spend any time with them who maybe have really been, maybe have really dealt with some serious things in their life. You find out, man, this place is almost holy ground here where I am. They spent some time with God. How many able to spend some time with some saints who had some chronic pain and some chronic health issues? And some real serious stuff. Had had a whole testimony, lived a whole life of doing a whole bunch of crazy things and movie style, lifestyle of doing a bunch of stuff in Washington, D.C. And by the time I met him, he was walking with a cane if he could and just trying to get around and just trying to manage. And I, I sat with him a bunch of times in his apartment. And he would just say, listen, the only reason I'm alive is because of the word of God. He said, I go through so much pain every single day. He said, I just sometimes mentally, the the word of God is the only thing that just keeps me going. And just hearing his story and hearing about the things he had to deal with. And yet it's almost as when he was speaking his terms uh, his language had almost turned into speaking like the Elizabethan English of our Bible because he just spent so much time reading the Bible and spent so much time in prayer begging God and saying, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you. And I'd be there and I'd say, man, it's almost like this apartment's holy ground. Why? Because here is a man that's in the wilderness and he's living his life close to God. And the Lord says, this place here, this is holy ground. Now, that's not what you and I want to hear. That's not what you and I want to envision for the future. That's not what you and I want to envision having to go through and have a place that's so solitary that we draw so close to God that he becomes our substance. He becomes our everything. And the place becomes, that's not what you and I want to hear. But God has a wilderness for everybody. God has a wilderness for everybody. And there are lessons in the wilderness that we can learn. And we can learn that this place was holy ground and that God was certainly there and that God revealed himself and showed himself real in the midst of the wilderness. Look in Exodus chapter number 16. Exodus chapter number 16, verse number 1. Exodus 16, verse 1, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of Israel, uh, of the children of Israel, murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may 
prove them, whether they will walk in my law or no. And so as it goes, the children of Israel give manna rain down from heaven. Supernatural supply of God from heaven every morning that they would need it and they could gather that and they couldn't gather too much. They couldn't gather too much manna because if they gathered it too much for the next day, it would would bread worms and it would stink and they couldn't use it. They had to go out and get it fresh every single day. Of course, except for the Sabbath day on Friday, they could collect twice as much. No worms. Everything was perfect. They had enough food for the next day. Why? Because it was supernatural. It was from God. They could see these things happening in their lives. And if they were so ignorant as to walk out and think that they had found the magic place in the wilderness where they just stepped out of their tents and there was bread all over the ground, they would have been sorely mistaken and confused on purpose. They knew it came from God and they came out and they saw it on the ground because it would melt when the sun would come up and it would, it would disappear if they didn't gather it in the morning and they would go out and gather everything that God had for them and God would supply for them. And they put his, God had the children of Israel go through the wilderness and he had great plans for them and he had great things. He was going to take them into the land of promise, the land that was flowing with milk and honey. And, and all these things were going to be for the children of Israel. But there was just this short time when they were going to be in the wilderness between Egypt and the promised land, just this short time they were going to be in the wilderness and God was going to prove them to see where their heart was and to see what they, if they were going to follow after God and if they were going to take the leading and the guiding of God and what they were going to do with that. And many times they failed. And this very, this very group that stood here as the leaders of their, their generation, and they stood and they whined and complained and they tempted God over and over and over again. You know what God said? God finally said, all right, I'm done with you. You're going to wander in this wilderness until every single one of you are dead. And your children are going to be the one that go in to the promised land because they're not the ones that are whining right now. <laughs> They're too young to make these decisions, but all of you making the decisions, you're out and I'll take your children in and I'll raise up a nation with them. But what did God do? He put them in his place of the wilderness where they saw the provision and the hand of the Lord. And it says in verse number eight, it says that, uh, that they, and in the morning bread to the full, it says in verse eight to the full. Why? It's always enough. God's always enough. What he has for you is always enough. Even in a time of wilderness, even in a time of disarray and and disorder and complete chaos and whatever is going on in your life, whatever is happening, whatever has happened in the past, whatever will happen in the future, the Lord is enough. And the glory of God will appear in those in that wilderness and do miraculous things in your life. And you won't be able to explain it. And you won't know how it happened except for the hand of God. And if you're walking with God, you'll hopefully deflect that glory and say, praise God for who he is and what he's done. But there's a wilderness time. There's a time in the wilderness. Look in First Samuel chapter 23. First Samuel 23. Verse 13, 1 Samuel 23:13. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbear to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And we see that he was uh, in the wilderness here, but yet he was in a wilderness with some woods. So that's not really what we're looking at to draw out, but... David was in this wilderness area, just him and some men. And Saul was coming after him. He was coming after him to kill him. He was coming after him because David was promised the kingdom. 
and God had his hand on David and uh, God had removed his hand from Saul and had taken his spirit from Saul and an evil spirit uh, had come upon Saul and Saul here is going against David to try to kill him. Bible says that Saul looked for him every day, but God protected David. God protected him there. And the reason we know it was God is because Jonathan looks for him and he finds him right away in verse 16. Jonathan's like, well, I know where he is. He's right over here in this wood place. And yet Saul couldn't find him. It was the Lord's. It was the Lord's hand of protection. It was the Lord's hand that was there. And if you're going through a wilderness uh, like David, God's hand of protection is there. You might not know it. You might not see it. You might not be able to know that it's there. David was probably running away and he was in the wood and he was like, Lord, I'm hiding here in the wilderness. And we find him, he hides in caves and he runs from Saul and he runs from Absalom. It wasn't the only time David was in the wilderness. And he's there and he says, God, what are you doing? And he's fearing for his life. He didn't know it, but those of Saul, the Saul's men and Saul that were trying to find him, they couldn't find him. Why? Because God's hand of protection was upon him. And listen, you might be going through some things in this life and you might not understand. And uh, someone else might have put you in a bad spot in this life. Someone else might have put you in a place that you, you didn't want to be in. Uh, I understand not everything's perfect in this life. I understand. Listen, I think we blame God a lot of times for things and say, well, God put me here. When in reality is someone else put you there. <laughs> listen, not every marriage ends uh, happily ever after. I wish it did. But not every marriage ends happily ever after. And I know it always takes two and all that kind of stuff when you kind of uh, look over things. But sometimes someone says, I don't want this marriage anymore. And then that puts you in a place and you're like, wait a minute, Lord, I didn't ask for this. God, why would you do this to me? Maybe, God, maybe it wasn't God's will for you guys not to be together. But someone else said, I don't care about God's will. And then you're like, well, here I am, Lord, and I'm in the wilderness. And the Lord says, I'm here. I'm here. My hand of protection's here. My hand is here with you. And we might think that we know best about our lives and about how God should do things in our lives and how God should run our lives, but we don't know best. God knows best. And God is there. And God puts his hand in those places. And God says, no, I'm gonna, my hand of protection's here in this wilderness. My hand of protection's here. Jonathan goes and finds him in the wilderness. You know what else we can find in these times of wilderness? We can find friends. We can find people sitting in the very same chairs here this morning that when you're going through something, somebody else in this place is going to be a friend, a real friend. A friend that says, hey, when things are difficult, I'm going to be here. I might not know how to do everything right. I might not know what to say. I might not be able to comfort you like you need to be comforted, but I'm here if you need me. And I'll sit beside you or I'll stand beside you or I'll be here beside you until you get until the Lord gives you some victory through this wilderness. I'll be right here. And that's what Jonathan was to David. In a time of wilderness, Jonathan goes and finds David and says, hey, I'm here. And he strengthens his hand in God. I'm not saying the friendships of the world are saying, hey, why don't you just come out with me? Yeah, forget that situation. Forget God. Forget that church. Forget that thing. You come with me, man. We'll have a good time. I'm not talking about that kind of friend. I'm talking about a friend that comes and says, hey, why don't we pray together? Can I pray for you? I know you've been going through some difficult times. I'm sorry about that. Maybe it's none of my business. Can I just pray to the Lord strengthen you in this time right now? Listen, a kind word that goes up to someone in church, a, a, a hand that's shaken, or a kind word that says, hey, I kind of know you're going through some things, and, and I'm praying for you. And I'm praying the Lord strengthens you and keeps you going. Because we need you here, and we need you in the fight, and we need you serving God. Because I need you praying for me. And right now, I'm praying for you. And to uplift one another, we can find those types of individuals in the wilderness and the times when we think we're all alone, we can find that there's people that care and they're there. First Kings chapter number 19. First Kings 19. This is Elijah. First Kings chapter 19. This is Elijah in verse number one. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. 
and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servants there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. We find Elijah after one of the greatest victories, one of the greatest Bible stories, in my opinion, in all the Bible. In First Kings chapter number 18, when he takes on the prophets of Baal and God rains down fire and consumes Elijah's sacrifice. And then he says, don't let them get away. Get them. We're going to kill them. And Jezebel, this nice, wonderful lady, writes this letter and says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you. And he runs off and he puts himself in a place here. What is he? He's discouraged. He's discouraged. Things aren't going how he thought. People are coming after him. People that he thought God was going to provide something else. Uh, he had just come off the mountaintop where, boy, that great victory and his prayer. He says, God, show him that you're God and show him that I'm your prophet. Give me a little glory if you don't mind, Lord. And the Lord did it. And they start coming after him and he says, oh man, I can't believe this. I'm no better than my father's. Lord, just take my life. Just take my life. But the Lord was there in that wilderness as well. The Lord was there. He was discouraged. He was tired. He was in a place where he put himself under a juniper tree and he wasn't eating, he wasn't doing anything. And the Lord strengthens Elijah and he strengthens him supernaturally and he says I have somewhere for you to go you need my strength to do it where was that place Horeb (laughs) the mount of God say what's that place that's the place Moses was that's the place Moses was and he takes him to that place and of course the you know there's the earthquake and the strong wind and the fire and the Lord was in the small voice but you know what comes out of that small voice Direction gives them some direction. Sometimes just walking around without any direction from the Lord can certainly be a wilderness. You walk around saying, Lord, I have no idea what you want for me. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do for you. Lord, I'm just existing. I'm just here. I'm just, Lord, I'm just in this place and it feels like everything is just gone. It just feels like a wilderness. And Lord, I'm just here. I need you, Lord. And we're looking for direction. We're, We're looking for Leadership. We're looking for guidance from God and it can feel like this wilderness of being alone and we can be discouraged. We feel like God stopped talking to us. We can feel like the messages don't mean the same thing that they used to mean. And yet God is there in that wilderness and he's feeding you supernaturally if you're letting him and you're eating of what he has for you. And when you come out of the other side of that wilderness, God's going to give you direction. And it's going to be very clear and it's going to be very pinpointed. And you're going to say, thank you, Lord, for what you wanted me to do. Now I see it so clearly and I'm glad I, I stuck with it, Lord. I'm glad I, I didn't. Uh, just become so fragile and break and run away. I'm glad that I didn't just uh, become so resilient that I just crossed my arms and I said, I'm not going to do anything else for you, Lord. And I don't care. I'm going to make it on my own. But I'm glad that I was able to be there and, and to hold it out and to wait it out with your strength to make it through the wilderness because, because God gave Elijah some direction, gave him something to do. Thank God for it. John the Baptist in Luke chapter number 1. Turn there, Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter 1, look in verse 80. 
I said that right, 8-0. Luke chapter 1. You think I'm long-winded. Luke was long-winded. Luke chapter 1, verse 80. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Who is this? John the Baptist. Look in chapter number 3, verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2, And Ananias and Caiaphas, being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. In the wilderness. John the Baptist, before he became John the Baptist, was in the wilderness. Before God used him as he did to point to Jesus Christ and say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Before he was elevated and Jesus Christ said of John the Baptist, born of women, there is none greater. There is none greater than John the Baptist. Before his ministry and his short ministry in this, uh, in this life, before that, John the Baptist was in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness. Here's some things we could learn from John the Baptist in the wilderness. The Bible says that his clothes were camel hair and he ate uh, wild, locust and wild honey. I think that's how it went. Remember that? I mean, the Bible says, hey, with food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Yeah, okay, camel's hair for a covering and locust and wild honey was his food. He was there in the wilderness. When you know we can learn in the wilderness from John the Baptist? You can do with less. You can do with less. We're so spoiled as Americans. So spoiled. The Lord has just been so good to us. And sometimes in the wilderness, we go through a time and, and, and it seems like, uh, it's just disorder. It seems like it's chaos. It seems like everything's kind of falling apart around us and it's not what it once was. And you know, we can learn, we can learn that we can do with less because he's everything we need. We can do with less. You know, else we can learn to do in the wilderness so we can learn like John the Baptist, how to pray. John the Baptist, Jesus Christ's disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples taught him to pray. That's a paraphrase. He said, remember how John taught his disciples? Yeah, we can learn to pray in the wilderness. What should we do? Try to figure it out ourselves? Try to say, all right, well, I'm in this wilderness place. It looks like I'm going to fend for myself. So let me sit down and figure out how I'm going to pay the bills and how I'm going to make this happen and how I'm going to do this other thing. Let me figure it all out and write it down on a piece of paper and and uh, read some self-help books and go forward myself and figure this all out. No, what we should do is we should turn to God and we should pray to God and say, Lord, please help me. Lord, please help me and learn to pray. We should learn to listen. We should learn to listen. The Bible says the word of God came unto John in the wilderness. In the wilderness where the Lord is trying to deal with you and I, we need to learn how to listen. So busy filling our lives, so full of noise. Did you ever notice that? Anywhere you go, people can't be quiet. They can't just be quiet and be in the stillness. You go to the store and the music's playing. You go here and there's other things going on. You go over here and this is busy. You got this, this is always going in the background. Because as soon as you get in the car, you turn something on. As soon as you get somewhere, you got to have something happening. Some kind of noise in the background. We have two free seconds in our entire day. Right? You go anywhere. It's like, okay, yeah, uh, I'd like to do this. You got to wait for a second. Okay. We've surrounded ourselves so much with just stuff and noise that people will rarely just be quiet and listen to the Lord and just listen to what he has. We need to learn how to do that. I like to say lastly, I don't like to say the end is coming soon because then you're like, oh yeah. Lastly, Luke chapter number four, verse number one. Luke chapter 4, verse number 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus Christ himself, God manifest in the flesh, all God and all man, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, 
the Holy Spirit, capital S, you can see it right there. That's how you know it's the Holy Spirit. It says capital S, led him to the wilderness. If the humanity of Jesus Christ himself was going to benefit from the wilderness, then what makes you and I think that we're somehow going to skate by some time of wilderness in our life where God has some lessons for us? It's not going to happen. Say, boy, you don't know what I've been through. I might not. And I might not be able to sympathize what you have been through if you told me. But there's a purpose. You say, boy, you don't know what I'm going through right now. Maybe I don't. But God does. And God is there in the midst of the wilderness. And maybe you say, well, I haven't really been through a whole lot. You know what? God's been really, really, really good to me in my life. God's been so good to me. And and God's been so merciful and gracious to me when I'm around other Christians and you get to know other Christians and you get to know the people in your church and you get to know some of the things that happen. I think to myself, God, you haven't put me through anything compared to what some of these saints are going through and what some of them have been through. But there's a wilderness coming. (laughs) Say, wait, I thought this was supposed to be encouraging. I'm trying for it to be an encouragement this morning. It's just the way I am. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm trying for it to be an encouragement. But there's a wilderness that's coming. There's a time of difficulty that's coming. And God is going to be there. And God is going to be there through every single step of the way in the wilderness. And I don't know everything about your pastor's history and his life. And when he came and preached for us a couple of Novembers ago, like a year and a half ago, he preached for me. And, uh, we sat down and it was another man that was, uh, from back East and his last name was also Stuart. It was like the Stuart and Stuart, you know, and, um, we just sat down and talked about stories and I didn't know your pastor all that well. And we were just kind of talking about life and what had happened and how God led us to where he led us. I don't know everything about your pastor, but things that he's going through right now is, is a little bit of a wilderness, And what happens to a pastor affects his people. And I'm not saying that there's, you know, any great thing that's going on. I don't have any deep insight. I don't even know if your pastor would want me to call it a wilderness of what he's going through. I'm sure he's gracious, and I'm sure the grace of God is helping him and giving him victory. But it's difficulties, and it's time when things aren't like we expect them or things where God puts a wrinkle in our lives and something is different. It's, that's where God is. He hasn't left in those times. And whenever your pastor's health is uh, regained and when he stands up here in his pulpit, there's going to be messages out of the word of God that are going to come and they're going to help you and they're going to strengthen you in your walk with God because of what he's learned in a difficult time. There is no doubt. And the same things going forward for you in your life. That's why the Bible says the God of all comfort comforts us in our times so that we can comfort others. Some of you have been through some things in this life and someone else is going to go through something similar. And you know what you can do? You can say, stay with God. Because I'm telling you from my experience, I saw how God did this for me. And although I wouldn't want to go back and redo it, although I wouldn't want to go back and and put that on somebody else, I'm so thankful that God allowed me to learn and to see these things in my life. And I've come out better for him than when I went in. And thank God that he is that God. In and of ourselves, without the Lord, we are fragile. We are fragile. If we tighten up and become resilient... We go through things in this life and we don't come out any better. But the Lord knows. And the principle in the scripture that we can see of the wilderness is God has a time in the wilderness or times in the wilderness. 
and God is there and God reveals himself and the people that go into the wilderness, if they follow God, they come out and they come out better. And God says, I can use you more in these areas. And it's hard to say it. And I don't like the idea of the wilderness. I'm not strong enough in faith to say, Lord, bring a wilderness so that I can be better. I'm not strong enough in faith to pray that. But I know that when we go through stuff in this life, that God is there. And God is there to walk every single step of the way with us. And when we come out, we can be more like Christ. We can be more like him. And we can say, Lord, I'm so thankful that that's over. I'm thankful for being through, going through that with me. And Lord, help me to continue to go forward and help someone else now that might be going through the wilderness. Let's bow our heads for prayer if we would. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I just want to take a moment. I'll turn the, the service over here and in a moment. But I just want to take a, a, a second to with our heads bowed and our eyes closed to just talk to the Lord. Use it as an opportunity to have a discussion with him. Maybe you're going through something here this morning. I, I don't know that. Maybe you've just come through something. Maybe you're about to go into something. But God is faithful. Just take a moment to speak to him. Maybe to thank him for bringing you through something. Maybe to call out unto him again and say, Lord, help me to be faithful in this current time of trial. Maybe it's Lord... If, if something's coming, Lord, I want to I wanna stay strong. Please help me not to falter or to fail or become resilient, but to learn and to grow. Lord, I thank you for being you. And I thank you that you are the God of the Bible. You are the God of salvation. You are a God of love. You are a God of judgment. You are the God of the wilderness. And Lord, I pray you'd help these people. Lord, these are your people. I pray you'd encourage them. I pray you'd give them the strength and the victory to come through the other side of anything that might be going on in their lives. Bring them through with joy. Like Paul said, he wanted to finish his course with joy. I'll give them a heart one for another to stand by each other and to help each other in time of need. I would help them to be a prayer support for their pastor and a, a kind word or a kind text. Lord, I pray to strengthen this church. Or the wilderness is never something that we want to go through or ask to go through. But, Lord, when we do, we can come out the other side and see your hand. Lord, I pray you just make your hand mighty. Allow us to see it. And allow us to praise you for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.